Well, as Brian said, uh, my name is Bobby Arkills. I'm on the ministry board here. My wife and I, Janelle, have called this our home for the last three years. But I have to tell you that um, my favorite title of all right now is Grandpa to Raviks. Right there. Yes. I, I considered just putting this up here and just staring at that the entire time. Am I okay? No. So they were actually here at the first gathering. Raviks is four months old. And so uh, they came over from Spokane, so it was really fun. He gave me some good feedback after the first message, so I appreciate that. He was hard, though. He was very, duff, very tough on me, so I told him, ease up, Raviks, back off a little bit. So we are in our next in our series of exiles. We're going through 1 Peter, and 1 Peter is written to the scattered church in what is modern-day Turkey. Then it was Asia Minor, and these are Jews and Gentiles together. And Peter, what do we know about Peter? So we know that Peter, in his life before he met Jesus was a fisherman. Peter was the kind of guy that typically spoke first and then thought about it second. How many of you are like that? Anybody? Know somebody? Married? No, never mind. Uh, but Peter was one who usually was brash. He usually did and then thought about the consequences afterwards. But this is the transformed Peter. This is the different Peter. This is the Peter who has encountered Jesus and is being changed. And so what's interesting is we look at this book of 1 Peter. We're going to look at what it means for us as Jesus followers at Anchor Church to live as exiles in a culture that is very, very difficult, that is very, very hard. And I believe that we need to have some ready-made mechanisms. How do we respond when the pressure ramps up? How many of you watched the Super Bowl last week? Okay, I'm not going to ask for allegiance, whether it's the Bengals or it was the Rams, but um, I'm just saying, if you watched the Super Bowl last week, how many people get nervous watching sporting events? Anybody? I get nervous for the players. On the, I know it sounds really strange. But I get so nervous watching them because what I do is I somehow put myself in the place of, say, Matthew Stafford. And I think, how would it feel to have 70,000 people screaming to see very large men on the other side of the line of scrimmage with the sole intent of hurting me and thinking, I have to throw the perfect pass at the perfect moment to my receiver or else we lose the game. And I remember watching that last week and thinking, he must be so incredibly nervous at this time. And of course, you know, he completed the pass to Cooper Cup. They won the game. And then the interviews afterwards, it's always the same response. When they ask these pro football players and pro basketball players, any athlete, and they say, in the moment, were you just overwhelmed? Was the pressure getting to you? And they said, no, no. It was thousands of hours, thousands of repetitions. You don't know how many times Cooper and I have practiced that play over and over and over how many times I've thought about the crowd noise. It's just muscle memory. It's just take the snap, drop back, complete the pass, move on. And I thought that is so fitting with what we're reading today out of 1 Peter because Peter is painting the picture. He's reminding those Jesus followers in the same way that he's reminding us is that we live in a world that is not friendly to Jesus' people. And we're going to come across situations that are going to test our faith. How will we respond when the pressure is ratcheted up Will we have some kind of a knee-jerk reaction, or will we be ready with some kind of muscle memory that tells us this is how we actually live for God? So three practices I want to look at this morning. The first is this, is that we live for the will of God. We have 1 Peter on the screen here. It starts with this. I learned in the first gathering, I need to put my glasses on or else it gets really embarrassing. Here we go. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, 
drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not pledge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be adjudged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So the first step is living for the will of God. You, you see here that he starts, he says, therefore, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Therefore means that we have to go back and look at what chapter 3 says. And the very end of chapter 3 says, the actual attitude you need to adopt is your ultimate example, and that's Jesus Christ, that willingly went to the cross, underdid, under, underwent all sorts of scorn and rejection, and did that for you and for me. But it's interesting that Peter not only says, arm yourselves here, he also says it in chapter 1, and in chapter 5, he talks about being alert, being ready, to be on the balls of your toes, balls of your feet, to be ready for an attack. Because the reality is, as much as we want to live a faithful life for Jesus in the midst of a culture that considers us exiles, there's an enemy that is trying his best to get at every single one of us. There's an enemy that wants you to fail in the biggest way if you call yourself a Jesus follower. So the first thing Peter says is you need to arm yourself. And not arm yourself with a defensive posture, not arm yourself with a quick comeback, Brian talked about that last week, how we want to be radiantly different. And the different is, is when we are asked, what's the difference in you? Why do you act the way that you do? How do you handle the situation you're in? Our response is one that's fashioned out of love. So Peter starts off and he says, arm yourselves because you're on alert. You see, once we realize that suffering is a given as a Jesus follower, once we understand that that's part of the game, that's part of who we are, once we do that, we will want to lean into what God's will is because we know he wants our best, because we know he's always looking out for us, because we know that the difficult times we go through are often to do something in our life to transform something inside that maybe nobody else can see. But when we do that, we'll more easily give up the short-term sense of satisfaction that the old life used to give us. You see, Peter was writing to people right here and saying, not only will they make fun of you when you don't join in the parties, when the gossip train starts and you don't get on that train, when you're not using your sarcasm, when you're not cutting people down, not only will they think that you don't make any sense, but he says they'll heap abuse upon you. And when he's talking about abuse, it wasn't just simply words. It was physical abuse. It was physical attacks. Their lives were at stake here. And so Peter said, the first thing you need to understand is that suffering is a given. How are you going to respond? And we respond by understanding that we live for the will of God no matter what the circumstance is. Over this past week, I would say that the enemy has gone on overdrive for the Arkills family. And I remember uh, thinking this week as I looked again at this passage and thought, okay, God, this really is as much for me as it is me trying to give it to anybody else. This is God speaking to me, teaching me. Because what I love is that even though we want to know what God's will is for our life, and I think what we'd like is we'd like it laid out for us in a document. We'd like it, we'd like it sent by a Prime tomorrow to land on our front doorstep. We'd like it written out exactly, okay, so here is your, the will for you this next week, Bobby. I want you to take this job, and then I want you to do this with your wife. I want you to contact these people, but it rarely, if ever, happens like that. So there's this sense of what does it mean to live the will of God? But Paul, the Apostle Paul, who also had a radical experience with Jesus, he tells us this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. 
Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So when I found out on Wednesday night that my wife's mom had had a stroke and was in the hospital in Issaquah, and we weren't sure what was going on, when I found out on Friday that my dad, who had been diagnosed with cancer, was stage four lung cancer, when I found out on Friday that they were stopping the treatment because he just couldn't handle it anymore, when I found out there was one more family issue that was going on in our immediate family, I immediately went to this verse and I thought, so what's my response? If God's will, if it's not laid out exactly what I should do with my dad and with my mother-in-law and another person, what do I do? I rejoice always. Whenever there's suffering in our life, which will come as a Jesus follower, we don't rejoice. It doesn't mean that we're happy about it. We don't always embrace it. Oh, bring it on, God. In fact, I, w- I would caution you to say, God, just humble me. Don't do that. <laughs> humble yourself first. But when it's coming at you, you have a choice. And Peter's saying it's going to come at you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to heap abuse. If you rejoice always, in the midst of if you pray continually, when that guy cuts me off tomorrow in traffic, I have a response that I can choose from. A or B. The old A is the presentation of something to him and a choice word as he goes by. B is to stop and say, Lord, make me a new person. I know I'm frustrated. This isn't a big deal. What's going on with him? Why is he in a rush somewhere? Help me understand what's going on with him. And give thanks in all circumstances. Peter was saying if we really want to be exiles, what it means to live the will of God is those three things. It means that we lean into the Father who has a better plan for us, even in the midst of really, really hard circumstances like here, or that we face as followers of Christ. The first muscle memory that we must develop is to lean into the will of God. So the question this morning is, what are you leaving behind? Because Peter took it for granted that as he wrote these people that you used to do these things. He uses a word in here that I don't think I've ever used in my language before, dissipation. He talks about the flood of dissipation. I think that's a bad thing from what I understand. But Peter's saying, I'm taking it for granted that you're leaving behind the old life and you're leaning into the new life. So what are the areas in your life where you feel like you're still holding on? The areas that you feel like it still feels better that you have control rather than trust it to God. The areas where there was an addiction or a behavior or some quick words that you still hold on to rather than saying, Jesus, I surrender it to you. Because Peter's saying the first step when we're in that pressure situation is we attune our minds to live for the will of God. The second is this, that we live with love and hospitality. He goes on to say this, 1 Peter 4, chapter 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So he starts off by saying the end is near. The end of all things is near. And sometimes when we read that in the Bible, we go, well, if he thought the end was near, he was mistaken because Jesus has yet to come. So maybe I don't need to listen to the rest of the message. But the way to look at it is this, is that Peter understood that Jesus is coming back someday. We don't know when it will happen. We don't know exactly the signs. We just know that he promises to come back for his people and to make this a new place. And when we have that as our heart attitude and our understanding, then we'll always be ready. Every area of our life will be ready for when Jesus comes back. But Peter says this, above all. And when he says that, he says superlative. You can have all of the great messages. You can do all the wonderful service projects. 
You can do everything that would show you to be a great attendee of Anchor Church, but above all, I want you to love each other deeply. Think about Peter. So if you're not familiar with the story of Peter, here's a very condensed version. Peter the fisherman, called by Jesus. He walks with Jesus for three years. He pledges his undying support and commitment to Jesus. When Jesus says, you will deny me, Peter says, oh, no way. No way would I ever do that. You ever made a promise you can't keep? At one time, when Jesus says, I want to wash your feet, Peter says, not just my feet, wash the whole body. He was all in. But he said, I would never, ever deny you. You are the only one that I have to live for. But then it says, as Jesus was led to the cross, Peter was in the outside in the courtyard, and people came up to him and said, you were with the Galilean. And he goes, no, no, that's not me. The second time, somebody says, but wait, I saw you with him. No, no, you must be mistaken. And then a third time, it says that not only a third time when they said, were you with him, that not only did Peter say, no, I don't know that, but in one of the Gospels, it says that Jesus and Peter locked eyes, and Peter wept. In the one moment when Jesus needed that support, Peter denied him. Here turned away from him. Then in John chapter 21, Jesus has been crucified. He rose from the dead. And it says he pierced the disciples. And they're out fishing because that's what they did best. And Peter is on the boat and he hears this man say, hey, cast to the other side of the boat fishing. They said, sure, we'll try that. They cast it over there. They bring up an amazing haul. And Peter looks on the shore at this man who started a fire. And he realizes it's Jesus. And being Peter, he jumps in the water. He starts to swim in, and he comes up to Jesus. And I imagine that in the meantime, between when Peter made it to shore and when the rest of the disciples rode their way in, the interaction that we find in John chapter one goes something like, chapter 21 goes something like this. Jesus is with Peter, and they're waiting for the rest to come to the shore. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, of course you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And it says in John chapter 21 that Peter was hurt. He said, Lord, of course you know I love you. Peter is writing us today saying, love each other deeply. Love forgives a multitude of sins. Because at the moment when Peter thought there was no way that Jesus could ever forgive me, I've done the unthinkable Jesus didn't come to turn the screw into Peter and say, three times, three times, matches up. No, he said, Peter, I want you to know, it doesn't matter what you've done. I'll forgive you for anything because I love you deeply. If anybody understood the message of loving deeply and love forgives a multitude of sins, it is Peter. And he's writing today to that church and to us to say above everything else, your love sets you apart. Your forgiveness sets you apart. So I mentioned that my dad has uh, cancer, a very bad form of cancer right now, and is uh, moving towards a, a hospice situation. And if you've been at Anchor before, maybe you've, you've heard me a couple times talk, and oftentimes when I've talked, I've talked about my relationship with my dad. And I did not have a very good relationship with my father growing up. Um, I loved my father. I didn't like him very much. There were many times growing up, especially as a teenager, that my dad said some incredibly hurtful things at very formative times. Um, especially when I told him, I want to go into youth ministry. I work, I work for Youth for Christ. And when I told him that, there were words of, you're a disappointment and you've let us down. And so there's a lot under the water, under the bridge between my dad and I. Um, but I really do believe I've forgiven my dad. And I thought about this loving deeply. What does that look like for me with my dad as he moves into a hospice situation? 
it would be very easy for me to say, Dad, you burned the bridge. Um, I'm sorry, you didn't really want a relationship. You didn't pursue it with me. But instead, I really feel God is saying, Bobby, at the, the deepest point of your hurt, I met you. I declared that I'm your father, that I'm never going to let you go, that I'm going to affirm you, and I'm calling you to love your dad in the hardest time, not because he will come to meet Jesus. I'm hoping that happens because he doesn't, but because we're called to love each other deeply. So the question is, who do you have to love deeply today? Even though Peter here, when he says love each other, he, he especially is talking about the church. He wants other people outside the church to see that there is something different about this church in modern-day Turkey, that there's something different about how they love each other. But what about you? Is there somebody that you need to forgive today? Somebody that you think, there's no way I should forgive them because they've hurt me over and over. I've told them to stop. They don't listen. But Peter's saying, from experience, I know what it's like to sin heavily. And I know what it's like to betray but I also know what it's like to be forgiven over and over and over again. And maybe that forgiveness is yourself. Maybe it's something you've struggled with all of your life. Maybe it's a behavior that you've wanted to walk away from, but you give into it and then you beat yourself up again. Maybe Peter is saying, first person is to love yourself well, to forgive yourself, and to surrender that to Jesus, to let him take control of it. So who needs to be forgiven in your life? So we think about the pressure situations, muscle memory. How will we be exiles but be radiantly different? It's to live for the will of God. It's to live with love and hospitality, and then it's to live to serve. Peter goes on to say this. He says, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. He goes on to say this in Romans 12. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What Peter is saying is that every single person in this room, as the same way he wrote to the church in 1 Peter, every person, every single one of us has a gift that God has given us to serve the needs of the body, of the community, but ultimately to point back to him. And in our culture sometimes, and this is hard to believe in the age of Facebook and Instagram, it's often we choose a false humility, false modesty. Somebody says, no, you have a gift, and you immediately go, no, I don't. Either it's that self-deprecating voice in our mind that says, I'm not good enough to have a gift from God, or it's a sense of, no, I don't. We're hoping that people will go, oh, I love your picture. That's great. You have a gift. But what Peter is saying is this. You actually have a gift that this body needs. And he says, every single one of you should use it. And he says, you should use it with the strength God provides because the moment that you understand you have a gift, you discover that gift and you begin to use it for God's glory, just like the very beginning we looked. Arm yourselves. It says there's an enemy that does not want you to exercise those gifts. But Peter also says, when you do it, you do it to the best of your ability. I can remember about 10 years ago, um, I had started with Youth for Christ. That's the organization that I'm a part of. 
And I remember sitting down with our finance director and saying, we have payroll next week and we need $40,000. Linda, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do. It was one of those moments where you, you feel like there's this sense of overwhelming anxiety that you're absolutely frozen. And I looked at her and I said, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't want to cut staff. I don't know who to go ask right now. I'm absolutely paralyzed. What do we do? Hoping she would give me the answer, just like God's will, hoping the answer would be right there. And she said, I want you to go back and I want you to read Matthew 17. And I want you to see that when the crowd said to Peter, are you going to pay the temple tax? What did he do? So I go back, I read Matthew 17, and it says this, the rulers came and said, does Jesus pay the tax to Caesar. So Peter went to Jesus and said, what do we do? Jesus said, I want you to go out, cast a line. The first fish you bring up, open its mouth. And in the mouth, you will find what you need. Peter did that, brought it up, opened the fish's mouth, the exact amount that he needed. So I go back to my finance director thinking this is a scavenger hunt. I go, okay, so am I supposed to go to the waterfront? Is this where we're going? I mean, fish market, what am I doing here, Linda? Because I'm not sure how this makes sense. And she said, what did Peter do? Well, he went and he fished. She said, what's Peter best at? Fishing. She said, Bobby, you go do what you are best at, and you trust God to take care of everything in between. And I think the same thing can be said for us, is that once we discover how God has gifted us, even though voices in our head or family members or other people may say, you don't have what it takes, because you flunked out of this, because you couldn't make this relationship. God is saying, once you know what it is, I want you to lean into it because I will use that and I'll use that to point glory not only to me, but also to meet needs right here locally. But sometimes what happens is if we don't have the list exactly what our gifting is, like the will of God, then we tend to push it off to the side. We may say, well, what do I do? How do I serve? Here's the great thing, is that at Anchor, we have something called the Anchor Track which means that if you're new to the Anchor community, it's a morning that you gather with us and we do a strengths assessment. And we'll find out what you think you're good at, how has God gifted you, and then how are there ways here at the Anchor community that you can serve? So we're not just coming with a message saying, you have a gift, good luck. We're saying, you have a gift, let us help you discover that. Here are three tools, the ways that I look at how do I discover the way that God has gifted me or encourage others. Number one is this, I ask. I simply ask God. If you and I will go to him, understanding that he is the loving father that we've always wanted, the God that pursues us every day, if we simply say, God, I'm not sure what my gifts are. We talked about it today. But will you show me somehow what they are? And maybe you need to ask somebody else. Maybe it's somebody else who's a Jesus follower and you respect them and you see how their life is different. And just simply say to them, where do you see that I could serve? Sometimes it's that outside perspective of somebody saying, I see you come alive, really come alive when you serve children. I see your heart is breaking for kids in youth, youth ministry. Maybe your heart breaks for people that, that are dealing with homelessness, but ask people around you, what does that look like? Number two is that question, what breaks your heart? So I've worked with Youth for Christ for 31 years, and we have this great history of Youth for Christ in that there are people that were with YFC. Billy Graham was with YFC, but one of those people was Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce was the founder of World Vision. And it said that Bob Pierce went to Vietnam on a trip. And when he went there, he saw what young people, especially children, were dealing with. 
And then he uttered this quote. He said, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. If we are living to serve, that's our muscle memory. We want to discover what our gifts are. Then maybe the question is, God, where are you breaking my heart? When you drive by people on Yakima Avenue, which is two blocks up from my office, and you see people that are living in tents, and your heart aches, that may be God speaking to you saying, there's a way to get involved. And the great news is we have partnerships with the Rescue Mission. We have partnerships with Coffee Oasis, different ways that you can get plugged in. First of all is to ask, and then to say, what breaks my heart? Then number three is simply look for where God is at work. Sometimes we hear messages and think, Okay, if I'm really to put this into practice, I have to start my own ministry, maybe a nonprofit. I've got to find volunteers. Then there's an operating budget. You just stop. When I started with Youth for Christ, I was overwhelmed. I was 22 years old, living in Montana, and I wasn't sure where to start. Nobody had really equipped me to build a team. I was trying to figure out how do I raise support, which sounded like begging money, and my parents didn't like that, and my friends don't like that. And I remember doing a Bible study by a guy named uh, Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. The premise of the entire Bible study was this. Look for where God is at work and join him. Just look for where God is at work and join him. Right here at Anchor, we have so many opportunities. We have children's ministry that are in dire need of volunteers. If you love to hold babies, we have babies to hold. Little Chloe will be one of those babies that you can hold out there, and she's adorable. We have teenagers that desperately need someone who will walk alongside them one-on-one. -on -one. You don't have to be charismatic. You don't have to feel like you have to be entertaining. You just need to be someone who's willing to listen. But when you look for where God is at work, what God will do is surprise you. He'll surprise you by opening your eyes in ways you've never seen before that, oh, this is an opportunity. I never even, never even thought about that. But maybe I have the gifts to use in that place. So the question is this, what will you do walking out of here to discover your gifts? Maybe it's signing up for an anchor track. Maybe you didn't even realize that was a thing, and you can sign up for one that's coming up next week or the week after, and you can sit down, and Brian and the team can say, let's look at the way that God has wired you uniquely to bring glory to him, to serve needs, but also to give you incredible joy. So Peter writes us, and he says, when you are in the midst of a pressure situation when there's persecution and there's suffering, which there is as a Jesus follower, the way he wants us to respond is to live for the will of God. It's to live with deep love and hospitality, to open our doors. And then it's to live to serve, to be willing to be the hands and feet. Because when we do that, we become the exiles that are radiantly different, as Brian talked about last week. We become the church that when people drive by on their way to Lowe's, they know there's something different about this place. When they see us serving the community, and we love without any strings attached, they say, I want, wherever you're at, I want to be at that same place. I want to invite the uh, communion team, prayer team, and the band to come back up. As we talk today about hospitality, about deep love, about service, the only reason we can talk about this is because we've been given the ultimate example of what hospitality looks like. That a loving God would open up the doors and would invite every single one of us to come in and sit at the table and say, you are my child. I want you with me. He's the only one that has extended the immense amount of deep love that we need in our life. He's the one who came to serve. It says in the book of Mark that Jesus did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I'm guessing there are people in this room that if you're a Jesus follower, but there are areas in your life that you say, today has to be the day that I draw the line in the stand. Today is the day that I leave it behind, even if they make fun of me, it makes no sense, they heap abuse. And I want to step forward into the arms of the God who walks with me every day, who promises to reveal himself. And maybe you're here today and the idea of following Jesus is something that's new or something you've pushed against. And I would say this, you are here for a reason. There's a reason you got out of bed and got dressed and ended up right here in Anchor. And if you're watching online, there's a reason that you tuned in at this time to hear this message of a God that would give up everything, give his only son to die on the cross so that you and I can live forever. We encourage you in the moments that we have communion to stop and to simply say, it's not a complex prayer, but say, God, I surrender my life to you. I'm not sure the next steps, but I need you and I want to start new. We are about to celebrate communion. And as we encourage you to come forward, you'll be given a cup with a wafer and a little bit of juice. And that's to remember that the God that loves us gave his son's body. So when we peel that off and we look at the wafer, we're reminded that Jesus Christ died on the, on the cross for our sins. And then we're also reminded that his blood was actually shed for my sin, for your sin. But we celebrate that the story didn't end there. It says that he died on that cross, but that he rose from the dead to give us new life. So we encourage you in the next couple minutes as we play these songs to come forward, to remember what Jesus did for you and that God's waiting for you to respond to him. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your sacrifice. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to look any farther than your son Jesus for the picture of abundant love, deep love that changes us. Father, I pray that today, whatever we came in with baggage, with obstacles to knowing you, that you are pushing those aside you are wrapping your arms around us and you're reminding us in the middle of really difficult times, you love us, you pursue us, you long for us to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.